Welcome to KafaruCast, everyone. It's Monday morning, and uh, I'm on the phone with uh, Colton Gilman out of Montana. Uh, Colton Colton's a very accomplished uh, traditional archer, and uh, I would say probably 70 to 80% of the uh, views he has, I definitely uh, agree with and encourage. The other 20 we'll probably argue about, but uh, Colton, I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, no problem. Col- Colton is... Um, Originally, well, what, you're from West Virginia, is that right? Yeah, Mason County, West Virginia. Gotcha. So you moved out uh, to Montana, what, about five years ago, I guess, and have just, I've been tearing it up with uh, the stick bow. Is that about right, five years? Yeah, I moved out here February of uh, 16. Gotcha. I had to crunch the numbers real quick. I got to be, uh, I had to live here for 180 days. So decided to move to Montana and kind of did some finger math. I was told my girlfriend at the time, I was like, we got to move in 20 days. He's like, okay, that way I can get my residency before elk season came in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, Colton has been, uh, how, well, kind of go, how long have you been shooting a stick bow? Um, what got you into it? Uh, kind of go over that and some of your accomplishments as far as, you know, you've been pretty successful, um, you know, with, with the stick. Kind of tell everybody about yourself. And, and also, before I forget, where they can find you if you want to, a bunch of people asking you questions about uh, traditional archery, where they can find you on social media, that type of stuff. Well, you can find me on uh, Instagram. Uh, my handle stickbum, and on Facebook, it's just Colton Gilman. But uh, I've always kind of been intrigued by traditional archery. You know, we had a growing up, my you know my family was big into archery. It was compounds, but we went to this uh, this archery league and and this uh, club. And there was one guy that shot a longbow. And I remember just standing at the bow rack and all these compounds. And then there was this longbow and, you know, leather quiver, wood arrows. And, like, his arrows were all custom and ours were just, you know, whatever the shop had fletched up. And I was just really intrigued with it. But, you know, everyone in my family shot a compound. So I shot a compound clear through high school. Kind of dabbled with it a little bit. But as soon as I graduated high school and got a real job, I uh, bought my first recurve and sold my compound that was in the winter of 07 so really 08 on has been 100 percent traditional and i just freaking love it man <laughs> gotcha well yeah you know one of the one of the reasons i wanted to get colton on here we we actually our our uh initial uh phone conversation was was not great but i had respected colton and i gave him a phone call and we argued about some shit and i i think the biggest thing was um my views probably aligned a lot more with his than, than maybe he realized it was just more of a, maybe a perception. Um, and, you know, and, and, and a lot of that's cause I use really, you know, I, I very fortunate. I get to use a lot of high end gear, but I don't, the, the reality, uh, is, 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 um, you can buy really good gear. You, you can't buy hard work. Um, you can't buy, you know, animal, knowing animal behavior, animal anatomy, uh, field craft woodsmanship. And so, Colton's never been to like a seminar I've done, so he has no idea what my my specific or personal views are, which is, you know, you may be more comfortable with high-end gear, but it does not put the animal on the ground. You put the animal on the ground. The gear just makes you a little more comfortable, potentially. And, and you know, Colton, you are a lot more, it seems like, about the adventure and the hunt and not about, I'm not saying you prefer to shoot smaller animals and bigger ones, but it's more about getting close, you know, having that, uh, you know, an amazing hunt, putting the effort in. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of give your views on, you know, on hunting and, and what people should be out there for, um, you know, to, to, to have a long and happy time in the outdoors where people, you do it for the wrong reasons, you're not. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, kind of trophy quality to me is kind of in direct correlation with how much effort I, I put into getting that animal. You know, it's like, you know, I've killed some big stuff, and I've killed some small stuff I'm a lot more proud of than the, than the bigger stuff. You know, it's to me, I, I enjoy, you know, knowing what makes gear good, not just buying the most expensive gear, and, you know, what makes makes a hunt high quality. And, and to me, you know, I can go out and, you know, backpack for several days and shoot a little waypoint or, you know, shoot a little rag bull and, and just, I don't, I don't think I'd feel any better about that if, if I went to, you know, on some big expensive hunt and shot a 400-inch bull. To me, it's 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 all about the, you know, how much work you put into it, and you know, that's, that's a trophy to me. But uh, 
Well, I don't know, man. You know, like, as far as gear goes, yeah. No, no, that's what I was going to say. I mean, along the lines with that, you know, gear's not totally different. I mean, I think people get wrapped around the idea that you have to have, uh, you know, the most state-of-the-art newest gear to f- to fit in. And, and, and you and I had talked before, and I've said this, you know, openly, Zwicky broadheads have killed more animals than probably any other broadhead, and they're like, what are they, six bucks a piece? I think something like that. Is that right? Yeah, I don't even know. But <laughs> they're not very much. Thirty for six, I believe. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of give your yeah. ideas on yeah, that like, as well. You yeah. know, and well, if you don't know anything about you know some some gear, we, we talked about that a little bit in another podcast. But if you don't know anything about the gear, and you know you're going in to buy a a, a jacket, and one costs thirty five dollars, and one costs two hundred dollars, there's probably a reason why the one costs two hundred dollars. It's going to be better. And if you don't know anything about it you're definitely better off if you can swing it to get the more high-end gear but yeah with the broadheads that's another thing too if you know i'm a big fan of uh this is a wiki i'm a big fan of the ace standards big fan of the magnus classics before they quit making them and uh i don't know you know i've always thought of like uh sharpening broadheads as as part of the skill you know one of the skills of traditional archery Uh, you know you see some old-timers at a traditional shoot, if they got broadheads in their quivers, you know, they're pulling them out, you know, talking shit about each other's broadheads not being sharp or asking them, oh, did you, you know, did you strop this? Did you use a steel? Did you use a file? Did you use a stone? What stone system are you using? And to me, it was just like, you know, that was another another part, just like blood trailing, just like tuning your arrows, just like clutching your arrows, hanging stands, all that stuff. And it seems like a lot of the broadheads nowadays, you know, like come shaving sharp, scream one and go shoot. And that's kind of, you know, they're, they're definitely selling those broadheads, but, and there ain't, there ain't absolutely nothing wrong with them. You know, some of the broadheads, I think they're a little bit too, too hard. You know, a lot of like the, the iron wheels, I believe they have a Rockwell hardness of like 60. Anything over like 55 for me, I mean, maybe I'm just shit at sharpening broadheads, but anything over like 55, I prefer around like 52. A lot easier to sharpen, you know, you really feel that file bite into the steel and you remove the material with every stroke and you can feel it. You know, I think that's a, you know, that's, that's another thing with, uh, with newcomers. You know, if you're learning to sharpen broadhead, you know, you know, you don't want something with huge, you know, high Rockwell hardness, you know, 58, 60. It's going to be a lot of frustration trying to learn how to sharpen those broadheads. So, you know, the Zwickies, the A standards, I believe, are like high 40s. And I shot a couple, couple bears and a couple deer and a, my elk last year with them. So, yeah. I mean, uh, and and Denny Sturgis, yeah, great heads. Yeah, Denny Sturgis uses wikis. Yeah, he shot the wikis for years. Yeah, he's yeah. still shooting them. And you know, it's a personal, you know, it's a personal preference. I mean, and and the the thing that um, I I think probably where you and I had some confusion initially um, was I you probably didn't understand that you know for me I don't really give a shit what anybody shoots. I am fortunate enough, um, and I'm sure you could be too, that I do get to test a ton of different gear. But, you know, the reality is, is, is the, without people getting too butt hurt, especially guys that shoot a compound, coming from the compound world, I had no idea how to sharpen a broad hit. Not to say compound shooters don't. Predominantly, though, I would say upper 90% probably have no idea how to sharpen a, a broad hit. And I certainly was in that category. So now... I have a belt sander that I use, uh, use a few different, uh, types of, um, basically sanding belts. Um, some are like, uh, carbon or what, anyway, there's different types and I learned to sharpen broadheads. I should have learned that 20 years ago, but initially I'm like, holy cow, what the fuck am I doing? I have no idea. Well, with, with Zwicky's, the bevel was off from one side to another. So you had to re, uh, you know, you had to, you had to get the angle correct on them. What I really like people pay attention I to this. Most of them are. I, don't, I don't know if it's like they're ground before the heat treatment or maybe they're they get kind of hot when they're ground but yeah they're they're most broadheads are you know like the old snuffers the old snuffers took forever in the woodsman's but i mean once you get them you know get that angle right they're not too bad yeah yeah well and i i the same thing you know denny and i talked about this you know as well he doesn't he likes sharpening broadheads i personally am, am not a um, a guy that loves to lay down, you know, sit down and, and start laying broadheads on the belt and sharpen over and over and over. I do it now because, you know, you, it makes sense. You want your broadhead to be razor sharp. I, it's important, though, for people rather to, to me, 
rather than worrying about it, your broadhead is extremely important. It's it needs to spin true. It ne- it needs to have all the great characteristics that a broad, good broadhead should. I think what people are leaving out, which is why you're on the podcast, is learn to sharpen the fucking broadhead. Learn to spin the broadhead. Learn to true the broadhead before you worry about buying the best broadhead on the market. If you want to do that, that's no problem. But you need to learn the skill or the craft. And and Colton, how old are you now? I'm 32. So see, Colton started way earlier than me pulling his head out of his ass because I was a compound guy. And you just don't you don't sharpen mechanicals and, and you, you know, they're usually kind of disposable broadheads, not all of them, but a lot of the, the compound broadheads or some of the ones on the market, relatively disposable. Well, I should have learned this long ago. And so you learn to sharpen broadheads, obviously pretty early. Um, you know, that's why I wanted you on here, whether it be a hunting or broadheads or gear, rather than worrying about the highest grade state of the art head, learn the business end of it first. And, and do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, what are the important things with you? You said like you want it to be, sh- you want it to sharpen relatively easy. What are some of the, you know, people don't spin their broadheads. That's another huge thing that people skip. You want to talk about some of those different things? Yeah, sure. Like, you know, what kind of learning what makes a good broadhead. And then you can find out whether, you know, whether the broadhead is a good broadhead, but you know, like, Somewhat soft steel, you know, you definitely don't want it to bend or whatever, but, you know, sometimes bending is better than breaking. I know you've had issues we've talked about with broadheads. We won't name any names, but getting that chatter down the blade. You know, you get something that's too hard and it won't bend. It'll break. And, uh, you know, sometimes maybe we'd be better off, you know, being your favorite for it to bend a little bit, that tip roll a little bit rather than try to get through that. But I like the Tonto tip on my two blades, you know, my uh, uh, Ace Standards. Uh, the wikis, the wikis seem to be a little bit heavier in the tips. Uh, a lot of people get away with not tonto them, which is creating a little bit harder angle on the front to resist, you know, the little roll when you hit a bone. But, yeah, I mean, you know, spinning your broadheads, mounting your broadheads. I'm a big fan of the, uh, I, I hear a lot of people talk about having to have that broadhead match their weight, but there's so many different, uh, inserts, uh, adapters, stuff like that. You know, I shoot a 200-grain head. I shoot anything from, you know, some 175-grain heads with 25-grain uh, aluminum uh, adapters in it. I'll shoot 125s with 75-grain steel adapters in it, 150s with a 40-whatever, 43-grain, add a little bit of glue, close enough, 200-grain. But, you know, and having broadheads that you can, you can sharpen in the field. You know, I carry a 6-area quiver, but you know, something happens and, you know, you got something in the field. You know, a lot of people will sharpen with that uh, uh, bench grinder setup, and that's awesome. You know, I got, I got some single bevels that I'll do, some stainless single bevels. But that's about the only way I can sharpen them. But once you leave the house and you're up on the mountain, you know, you're kind of whatever broadhead you got. You got something so hard that, you know, your your file doesn't bite in it, just kind of rolls over the, the steel. You're not going to resharpen that in the field. So having a broadhead or even having a couple of them that you can resharpen in the field, it would be beneficial on a long hunt. I mean, if you ever run into that, you know, something with a hardness of 60, trying to get out there and, you know, you dust a couple of arrows after antelope, trying to trying to get an edge back on them. Yeah, and I mean, this is something that, that is important for there. Are, there's a few, you know, um, there's broadheads with replaceable blades that, um, you know, in the case of what Colton's talking about, I am going to swap out the blade far before I'm going to try and sharpen it. And I just save those blades to bring them back home to sharpen them. Cause they're su- they're harder to sharpen in the field. They're pain in the butt. There's others that, and it's Ricky's one of them. Oh, like a, a cutthroat or a VPA three blade. Those ones like a VPA, super easy to sharpen for people. It's, it's, it's a three blade. So you just put it flat. You can't screw it up. You put it flat on the file. Um, Iron Will, and you guys did a, a podcast that I listened to. It was funny. You guys were kind of talking shit about higher-end broadheads. And some of the stuff you said, I know, it, which seems, and I'm, I'm an Iron Will fan. Um, I think you guys made a comment of at least they have a really pretty box to look at when they don't kill anything. There's some validity to that. So, <laughs> I mean, and, and, and when I say that, meaning, you know, don't hate on Colton or I as we're talking about this. 
Did you buy the best gear possible without increasing your knowledge base? If your gear is at a level 10 and your knowledge base is a level 3, you might want to increase your knowledge base and not worry as much about your gear. Where, you know, Colton's mentality um, is that of, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, get closer, learn the animal, learn woodsmanship, learn your craft, don't focus as much on the best, highest in gear known to man because you are going to be able to get it done um, with the what you have, uh, what you can afford, what you're comfortable with, and you can probably afford anything. I'm not saying you're poor, but you get what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see all these. I see all these people. You know, they they got gear that you know I flinch at looking at the price, and they've got all this high end gear, and they're sitting there, you know, dropping bombs in their backyard at forty, and you know, they, they, not that this is a bad thing, but <laughs> they haven't killed anything in years. Or they can't afford to go, you know, two states over to a better state to hunt. Or, you know, they were like, oh, I've always wanted to hunt in Nebraska turkey. And it's like, you, you own five bows, your arrows and broadheads cost $400. And they can't afford to throw, you know, $200 in gas by a $200 tag. And it's, you know, and that's learning how to hunt the animal is going to going to get you more meat in the freezer than any gear you could ever buy. Like growing up, you know, when I got into traditional archery, I just obsessed over groundhogs. You know, I lived in West Virginia. You could hunt deer. You know, you can kill a few deer a year just in the fall months. A little bit of turkey in the spring, but I obsessed over groundhogs, spotting and stalking groundhogs. And I think that helped me more than anything that I've never been a great shot. I'm still not a great shot, but... I shoot a lot of my animals at inside 15 yards. You don't have to be a great shot. And it, it's so much more beneficial if you get out there and hunt anything. You know, I've stalked deer in the summer, you know, sneaking up, shooting at Tweety Birds, you know, uh, hunting groundhogs, anything in your state. You know, people down south, man, they got it made. The pigs, oh, I'd love to go hunt pigs 12 months out of the year. But, you know, getting out there and hunting an animal, you know, there's so much more to hunting than than the shot you know i see a lot of emphasis on the shot which it's great to be a good shot but you know dropping bombs at 40 50 yards on a glendale buck in your backyard ain't really going to help whenever you got your nerves going you know you got your heart going 100 mile an hour and there's a deer at 12 yards and you're like well my point on's at 40 you know i've seen a lot of people post a lot of videos on instagram and then you know i missed four deer yeah you know you're you know get out there hunt something that kind of gets that anxiety going that, you know, you hunted a groundhog for four days, you've muffed the stock three times, now you got to make one shot on an animal to kill something the size of a racquetball. You know, that anxiety, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, fake that. It's hard to do that in your backyard. And I think that's real beneficial if people get out and, you know, go after some animals and get that one shot. No, and, and, it will help them in the long run, for sure. No, and I, and I agree. Well, I mostly agree. I don't, uh, when I say that, you got to practice shooting at targets there's no way around it what colton colton's saying and i 100 percent agree and and again what i you know and correct me if i'm wrong or what and colton doesn't mind to argue which is why i like him on here um i think people forget in the case of with me is i went through my poverty phases already and i don't have to pay for all my gear i don't have to pay for hardly any of my gear and i get to test a lot of gear so you know, when I give advice to people, it's generally on their budget and their mentality. Um, and I think it's important. And Colton knocked it out of the park a minute ago. Why the hell are you spent buying a brand new bow when your old bow is perfectly fine when you could put that money on Nebraska turkey tax or, or, or whatever? And because of social media, which is one of the reasons I think you were initially probably talking shit about me is, is, is because of social media and you may may or may not have known, like I came up in the in the poverty phases and I do, I, I appreciate actually the shit talking you did because it kind of brought me back to reality of maybe I need to make sure people understand that I already went through, when I say poverty phases, I'm, I'm not saying that in a financial aspect. In my case, it was. What I'm saying was taking a big step back and looking at the reality of what you can afford and what's important. Now, if shooting tournaments is, is your thing, I'm, I'm not talking about that. If hunting is your thing, making sure that you understand you don't have to have the newest and latest, greatest of everything to be a successful hunter. 
And if you're spending money on that stuff and you are not spending money on tags or not learning your craft, you're making a mistake. And in, in, in that Colton, that's basically what you just said. I totally agree with it. And I, and I, when I first started in, um, uh, big stick was giving me crap about this. It was, I, I was very confident at 40 yards and I was sure that I would be fine at 40. In reality, after several hundred animals, I think I've shot four at 40 yards. The rest are like eight yards to 22. That was my perceived importance was longer distance. In reality, as I got addicted to the stick bow, most of my shots are sub 20. And that's because I came from the compound world, focused on what I really shouldn't have been focusing on. And I still shoot, and, I'm, and Colt may be making fun of me subliminally here or not, I shoot 40 constantly. I practice from zero to 40. I do too. Yeah. It makes 15 look like eight. It, it, yeah. Well, that's what I, I shoot 40 a lot because if I'm missing at 40, um, you know, for, for, as I say, I'm missing at 40 or hitting at 40. If I can hit a pie plate at 40, I certainly can hit a grouse at 20 or 15. So I don't think Colton's making fun of people shooting 40 yards. What you're basically saying is a target doesn't move. A target doesn't raise your adrenaline. You need trigger time. Am I, am I, that's kind of what you're saying, yeah. basically, which I agree with 100%. Nothing better than trigger yeah. time. And I see a lot of people, they'll, they'll do that, and it's kind of like a, everybody does it. I've went through it. Everybody does it in the beginning stages of Fuck, shooting I, traditional. I did it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's intimidating thinking that you're going to get inside 15 yards. Until you get comfortable with animals inside 15 yards, holy shit. I mean, you want to talk about getting your heart rate, get an elk inside 10 yards. And figuring out how to not muff that up. So it's, it's, it's a leery, it's, it's a leery, whatever the word would be, <laughs> to think that you can shoot 40 yards and to stand in your backyard in your t-shirt, you know, on flat ground and on a target that hasn't moved in four years and shoot at 40 yards and then think that that's applicable in the field. And it doesn't take long to find out that it's not applicable in the field. Animals move. You get a shit release, fatigue, you know, uneven terrain you're standing on. You got a backpack on. Clothing, weather. There's a lot more variables. Yeah, yeah cold weather. Back. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm only going through all the shit I fucked up <laughs> in the last five years, so yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. But until you're there, it's hard to understand. I mean, you can't listen to a podcast and be like, well, they don't know what you're talking about. You know, well, I, I think this one, they buck and this specific one, they might, it might bring it Maybe. home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh well, and, and what Colton's saying is is true, and I, I'm I, I have no issue, it, and I've said it before, eating crow on a lot of this crap that I that I started. I think it's very important. Denny Sturgett says says it best: have a plan. If you got to get a second arrow in an animal, you want to at least have some idea of how to hit something at forty to fifty yards, right? For a second arrow, hundred percent, yeah. But the the reality and the biggest thing I learned is if you're patient and you actually learn how to hunt. Getting sub-20 isn't that big of a deal once you get used to it. But if you're crapping your pants, you've never been close or, you know, whatever, or in my case, only practice 35 to 50, I suffered at closer shots because I was so focused on the farther shots. Obviously, I've reinvented the wheel, and, and, and my closer shots are easy now. It's learning. That's just life. And one of the things that with with talking with you and and and, and uh, seeing different comments, it does kind of reel me back in to make sure people understand. Uh, I drill a lot close up, meaning blind bail work on form. I just I generally only post shooting at more distances, which I sh- I need to get better at that. And it's not that I am planning on taking that shot at distance. That just shows me that I can make a closer shot that much easier now. I get to hunt a lot. Um, I'm very fortunate enough. You know, I, I hunt for three to five months straight. That's not out of the question to do on a budget if you are thrifty and do some some footwork and some legwork. Before I was in the position I was in now, I took a lot of unpaid time off uh, to be able to hunt. You're not going to get the best hunts in the world by any stretch. But you can have a good hunt. And when I say a good hunt, you may only shoot a doe. But you can find coal hunts. I mean, you can do a lot of different things. And that's one thing you're pretty good at is you find a way and find different different animals to hunt. On And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying Colton is poor by any stretch. I don't know what your financial situation is. But you do a very good job 
of finding different hunts on either public land, finding places that where you can maybe trespass through private land. You've been able to do that. You're 32. You've been able to do that for a while and be very successful. You shoot four or five animals a year at a minimum uh, from what it looks like. Is that correct? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, past couple of years have been a little bit more than that. But, yeah, you know, just. Well, let's just, let's say you know, 10. We'll, and, and, we'll round up to 10. Yeah. That's good on a budget. I mean, when I say on a budget, you're not going on guided hunts. I mean, you're 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 doing it pretty much all do-it-yourself public land type hunts. Yeah, I mean, not, not to get too much, but I've never made $40,000 in my life a year. You know, like, here recently, you know, I started my own business last year, and, you know, that didn't help me financially. It just helped me with time off. And I pick and choose what I own a little construction company, just me. But, yeah, just, just it's not that expensive to really get out there and, and do it. You know, I did a Nebraska turkey hunt this year. I slept in my car. I slept with a, you know, I stayed at one of my buddies' house one night and was gone for, I don't know, a week, seven, eight days, and spent less than a grand. And you can't hardly go on a little vacation for that, you know. Yeah. Well, and that that's a, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make sure we cover all the things I want people to hear with this. I'm not going to lie. I do not mess with that. I don't sleep in the car anymore unless I absolutely have to. I'm Obviously, I sleep on the ground a shitload because we like this year we have four back-to-back-to-back 14-day backpack hunts. I get a lot of time off. I, you know, so it, it, obviously in the position I'm at now is different. But working construction like back in the day, we would leave Friday after work, drive all night, hunt Saturday, hunt, or, you know, hunt Saturday all day, hunt Sunday morning, turn around, drive back, go back to work Monday. We still killed stuff. Like it's very doable if okay. you have the right mentality. Now you you have to work harder. When I say work harder, meaning you may have to leave after work on Friday or skip out and hope you don't get fired, which was my case. Um, you may have to bank time. When I say bank time, you may, you know, there's a lot of ways side jobs. You know, I talked a lot of. I used to put shower doors in like crazy to afford you know gear. And back in the day, it's totally different now. I had one set of hunting pants. I had one fleece. I had one puffy jacket. I didn't have a choice of what I was going to wear because that is all I had. And I never had an issue. I had good gear. I just didn't have very much of it. And I'd save up. And I'm a big optics guy. I, I, I saved for as long as I could. And I finally could buy a set of Swarovskis. Not everybody can afford those. I think you should try to afford those. But you don't have to have the best stuff in the world you know, you got to bridge up basically is what I'm saying. And when you bridge up, it also, you know, it comes with time. I mean, but you don't have to have that is what I'm getting at. I mean, you can be very successful without it. You Now I wouldn't spend 14 hours behind a set of crappy optics. You're going to get a migraine, but at least you're out there hunting, right? Been there. <laughs> so, yeah. Got good ones now, but I've been there. Yeah. Well, what do you have for optics now? Uh, actually, I'm just, uh, I bought a pair of, uh, Zeiss Terra EDs. They're pretty, they're the cheaper ones, but uh, I just recently sold those. I got to put them in the mail Monday. I'm gonna get to get the conquest. So I kind of slowly step stuff up, you know. But yeah, and that, that's uh, that's what you got to do. Drew a line. He's like, he's like, <laughs> Bob Smith drew a line. He's like, we won't make fun of you if you're here in the conquest. That's it. You know, they're all running Suarez, <laughs> and my buddy August runs Leica, and they're all making fun of me. But you know, I. Twenty five hundred dollars, I could do a new song. Yeah, well, close to it. Yeah, I was gonna say you you could you can you can work around it. Yeah, I mean you can find a way. And again, as you, this isn't telling everybody to go live at a poverty level, like and and only use cheap crap. My thing and what I push, and I don't know if you agree with this, your gear level should be really even with your, um, you know, it should be if your gear level, like I said, is at a ten and your hunting skills are at a three don't worry about gear so much worry about your hunting skills. If your hunting skills are at a higher level, like if Colton and I hung out a lot, I would be encouraging him to increase his gear because his hunting skills are just fine. So I would probably be giving you shit and you'd be making fun of me back by having expensive gear. And that is how friendship works. But you got to, you know, kind of a, a gut check and a reality check of, you got 20 grand in Sitka gear and you can't afford gas to go elk hunting. You may have brought too much Sitka gear, right? You, you, you gotta be in, you know, keep it yeah. in reality. And the way I see gear is, you know, you got your basic stuff. You got a, you know, you got your insurance or car payment, your rent or mortgage or whatever. And then, you know, your, your hunting stuff, your 
your fuel to get there, your tag to get there, you know, your food to eat while you're there. And then your gear comes after that to me. You know, what can I afford after I get there and hunt? Because not going on the hunt because I want a pair of binoculars this year is just not on, not on my table. Like I, you know, I went to Australia and hunted Asiatic water buffalo and I had a Nikon Pro Staff 10 power binoculars with uh, black tape around the eye cups. They were shit, but that's all I could afford at the time. Yeah, and but you got it, to you go know, hunting. People gave me shit for them all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got to go hunting. It, I got there and they were fine for that. You know, you glass mule deer and your head hurts after fifteen minutes. But what well, I, I mean, it's important. Yeah, I got there you know? and I got to you know whatever. Well, I just say it's it's important that you got there exactly. You got to go hunt, and I I don't. You know, it was such an eye opener for me as I kind of, and Bob gave me crap about it. I can't remember exactly what I said. And I pretty much came back with, well, I've still killed way more than you. Cause that's what guys do. We talk shit. And Bob, uh, big stick, Bob was laughing about how I was shooting, you know, 40 yards when I first started in 16 and talking about that. And I learned real quick that 40 yards isn't real important because I need to learn to stock and shoot something at 20. And Obviously, I've learned that, you know, and, I, and I'm very upfront with people about that. I'm like, don't get me wrong. You want to be able to learn to shoot. But what you really want to be able to do is learn to stalk. Because, you know, I, you, you don't have to be nearly as good of a shot if you, if you stalk closer. And that's just, again, the, the bringing things back into reality. You know, you learn to hunt. You're going to be a lot better off. Uh, learn to stalk, learn animal behavior, things like that. The other stuff isn't nearly as important. And again, I was coming from a compound, and, and I'm sure you guys both talked shit about me about this. Uh, and you wouldn't have been wrong. I mean, I was so focused on being able to shoot forty plus yards, and now here we are, a few hundred animals later. Hell, I've only shot four over that distance. And and and, and honestly, I mean, I'd say ninety percent of my shots are sub twenty, um, or right around there. I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing, and I was learning along the way. And I've learned a bunch, and I'm still learning now. What's your average shot distance, would you say, and what's your farthest shot? Uh, well, last year kind of kind of blew it all to hell. I ended up, I shot my elk last year at like 25-ish. Shot a couple bears inside, uh, I think a couple bears inside 12, 13. Shot some whitetails, six, eight yards. My average shot probably is around that 13 to 15 range. But I shot a doe last year. You talked about how important it is. I shot a doe last year in West Virginia at about 40-ish. And she was walking. And I shot her through the back straps at like eight yards. You know, she jumped the string. The air went boom, boom. You know, right through her back straps. And she sat out there and humped up like she was hurt. And I felt like the biggest piece of shit on, you know, face of the earth. And she started walking. And I saw this little tiny opening. And I just drew back. And she walked into that opening. I let her and just hit her she spun hit her in the flank come out the front of her chest and i killed that deer but if you never practice at that distance then you know you might not be able to pull off a shot like that but it's kind of hard to tell people to practice at that distance but don't plan on shooting at that distance but sometimes it does come in handy like you said always have a plan yeah i stole that from denny sturgis but yeah i mean and again, I have learned a ton as I've gone through all of this. Zwicky's was one of the first broadheads I got. That's what Rocky Mountain got me. I killed my first four turkeys with his wiki. I I couldn't sharpen them, which was first a, deer with well, I couldn't sharpen them very well, which is a good thing for turkey because I didn't want it to go through anyway. So I like they handed me these wikis, and I literally you might as well have handed me a a freaking you know quantum physics algorithm or something. I'm like, uh, and they said, oh, you take a file and you do this and. I mean, I'm literally screwing around, and I'm like, this sucks. I, I suck at sharpening. I got I to gotta learn how to sharpen, good Lord. So I went down there and hung out, learned how to sharpen at Rocky Mountain. But, again, being realistic, having a, you know, I guess being even, when I say even, is, is, is important, meaning learn to get close but know how to shoot farther away. Get a lot of trigger time on animals but also practice on targets when you can. I mean, you don't want to be so one-sided and so one-dimensional and I was very one-dimensional when I started. I just didn't know any better. Um, and I still, sh I like shooting farther. You know, when I say farther, my farthest target's at 40. But if you look at my targets a few years ago compared to now, all of my targets, I, I mean, the majority of my targets now are 30 to 12. Because that, that's my, that's where 
I've only got a couple out there at farther distances. I've got a grizzly, an elk, and a, and a bighorn sheep. Those ones are a little farther. That's just what I put out there. But I practice now at least 60% of the time, sub-20, sub-25. Where you saw, I mean, I'm sure you guys were talking shit about me. When I first started, all my practice was at 35 to 50. Well, hell, I didn't know. I was worried I couldn't it's, get close. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I believe the reason we butted heads was everyone went through that stage, but you went through it very publicly. And, you know, everybody kind of takes what you say is as the gospel throughout your learning experience. And I'm sure the shit I'm saying right now that in 10 years, I'm like, ah, oh, you're a fucking idiot. But, you know, it was there for a little while. Everybody was doing that. It's like, well, Aaron Snyder can shoot at 65 yards. Like, yeah, man, you know, he's a, he's not really, you know, he's a really good shot. And, you know, you were going through that, you know, not not knowing if that wasn't applicable in, in the field. So, Fuck, no, it's I guess not. why we butted heads. Yeah, no, and I didn't. I mean, I think the biggest thing when when we butted heads, I called you. I was pretty upfront. I'm like, dude, I like you. I don't know why you're talking shit about me. I think think you're a great guy. Well, I get where you were coming from. I think the biggest thing too is 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 also, you know, I'm pretty open as far as just shooting the shit on the phone. Like, I think a phone call would have probably, you know, figured things out quicker because a lot of things that's perceived on the internet are, and again, that's why I wanted to have this podcast. I think people perceive certain things differently than maybe what they would hear up front. The first thing I ask when I talk to somebody is what is your budget? All right, this is your budget. All right, this is the best option for that budget. And you don't get to see that. And a lot of other people do like, I don't, I'm a, I'm a big iron will fan. I like iron will. I've had great luck with iron will. If iron will is not in your budget, does that mean you're not supposed to go out in the woods? Yeah, of course not. Buy what you can afford. I think Optics, I would say that, that those are probably boots, pack, and optics. Those are real important. You know, you want a good, comfortable set of boots, you want a comfortable pack, and you want a comfortable, or, you know, good optics. If you can't afford those, yeah, get a good set of boots, save up, get a good pack, save up, get a good set of optics. Don't let it stop you. Part of the growing portion, and I would be curious, I think you need to suffer for a while. And when I say a while, a solid five to ten years with shitty gear. So you really know when you, you know what I mean? When you finally get good gear, you're very, 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 you know, what's the word? Um, thankful for what you have. If I had to go through this And you shit, understand what makes good gear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it ain't just price tag. I've been, <laughs> I've been hunting with people that had a jacket, won't name their brand, that cost more than, I mean, cost as much as my freaking bow. And they were so damn loud, there was no way you could get an animal inside 20 yards. You know but they didn't really understand that that, you know, well, this is high-end gear. Well, yeah, but, you know, that would probably be best for, you know, your puffy when you're glassing. You know, that might be best for a rifle hunt. That might be best for, you know, something like that. But, you know, learning what good gear is, and I'm not, you know, people ask me about gear, too, not near as much as you, I'm sure. But, you know, as far as broadhead, you know, skill level, more than budget. If somebody scrapes up some money and gets three iron wheels, uh, you know, same brand names, the three high-end broadheads with a hardness of 60, and there ain't no way in hell that they're going to get them resharpened. Well, they get three broadheads. You know, they're new to it. They scraped up and got them, and they put them in dirt, and now they're shooting dull broadheads. I've been in hunting camp with people with those those heads, and they were dull as shit. Yeah. You know, I don't know if they just didn't realize it, just thought that they just somehow magically stayed sharp through well, 500 dude, you, Reinhardt hits. Dude, you're not going to offend anyone. You can say the broadhead's name because, I mean, it's not going to – I think it's important. I mean, I would prefer you to say the broadhead's name than not, and I can throw an enlightenment on there too and my spin on it. But, dude, I don't mind saying Zwicky's bevels are crooked as shit and you got to refix them. you got to fix them, so don't hold anything back. It's not going to hurt. Yeah. You're not going to hurt anything, man. Fire away. Well, I mean, they were iron wheels. You know, they got a hardness of 60. You ain't going to take a file or a little, you know, stone or something that you can carry in your backpack and resharpen that. If if there is a way to do that, I'm not aware of it, and I'm not familiar with those heads, but, you know, I've had broad heads with a hardness of 56, 50, you know, 56, 58, and they were sharp when you left the house, and, I mean, you better keep them that way because you wasn't going to get them that way again. Well, and I knew it was and an iron. I like the you know the high forties, low fifties. 
Yeah, and I figured I say new. I I figured you were talking about Iron Will, and again, people can have a diplomatic conversation without having to get into a giant shit show like broadheads always do. I wouldn't argue with you at all. Iron Wills are difficult to sharpen in the field, and I bring replacement blades for that reason um, because they are there. I don't know what the the Rockwell is on them. It's 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 higher. It's it's difficult. When I say higher, not as high as something, and I'm not going to mention the names of the ones that have snapped in half. I haven't had an iron wheel snap in half, but A2 is, is it's, hard, it's a harder steel. It's hard to sharpen. And this is where the reality check comes in. Can you afford an iron wheel? Are they good? Uh, you know, uh, would you prefer a replacement blade than to sharpen them? There's nothing wrong with either of them, but you have to have enough knowledge to make the decision. And when I say that, meaning if I if you can afford iron wheels and replaceable blades, they are an unbelievable broadhead. But if you can't afford them, then hey. it's kind of a moot point. You got to learn to sharpen. And in his wiki, may be a better or whatever broadhead may be a better option. That is why I wanted you on this podcast because you bring a file in the field, just like the old Fred Bear videos. You sharpen up in camp, and you can do it very well, right? I'm not a big fan of the file sharpened broadheads, but that's that's my you know I, I use stone. I've got well, a Gecko system that's a lot like the Lansky. Yeah, you know but what yeah, I mean. Yeah, though you can sharpen being the being able to get them hunting sharp again. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I, and I don't I can't get an iron well hunting sharp again. There's other broadheads I can't as well personally in the field. So I I I change out the blades. You got to know that you need to change out the blades. I will say an iron well will stay sharper than any other broadhead I have found. But that doesn't mean you can shoot it in the dirt and it's a never dull broadhead. The fucking thing does get dull. Now, does it get dull as fast as a softer steel? Fuck no. No, softer steel gets dull way quicker. But it does need to be sharpened. You can't be flinging it in the dirt and expect it to go through an animal. You have to have common sense and a knowledge base. And if you're going to be flinging them in the dirt, you got to have replaceable blades. And that that is where the reality comes in of where you... you you really need, are you financially able to have those? If not, then you need to learn to sharpen broadheads like, like Colton does. There's nothing wrong with either one, but there is a reason where I'll poke fun of you and you'll poke fun of me, and that's okay. People don't need to get all butthurt about that shit. I'll probably call you a hobo and you'll call me an arrogant prick for shooting iron will, and I'll say, well, you're broke. You got to shoot wiki. That's camp talk to me. I mean, that's normal. I Would you agree with that? You wouldn't be the first person to call me a, ho- uh, a hobo in one of my high kill photos yeah well there you go and you you would yeah you (laughs) wouldn't be the first one to call me an arrogant prick so see we're even right but people nowadays can't have those conversations without it just turning into a dumpster fire like i i think you probably figured me out relatively quickly on our first phone conversation i mean i think um more maybe of my thought process or or whatever i was i i I knew that I was more like you than you probably realized, or at least I thought I was. And one of the reasons I send people Bob to... Bob always said that. What's that? Bob did? Bob always said that, you know, that, that we butt heads. And he's like, if you guys were like by a campfire, you'd be best buddies. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that social media post is kind of tip of the iceberg shit. You know, you don't really see a big backstory behind it. You really don't see the full, the full story you know, on a little clip on Instagram or yeah, well, a photo or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's fucking social media, right? It's whatever it's what it is. But I, and it didn't bug me. My biggest thing was I, I was laughing because I'm like, dude, I like you. I think you're funnier than shit. Don't be talking shit about me. We'd get along good. And the reason why is reality. You are much more about learning your field craft, learning your skill set, right? And so there are times on a, on a stock where, you know, when I say this, not me being guiding, where I have mentioned to guys like, man, all that clothing didn't really fucking help. Maybe you should learn how to stock, which probably isn't the best thing to stay with a client. But when they're, you know, when they're decked out in. Not real good for tips. No, it's not. But when they're decked out in five grand in clothing and they don't know how to stock, again, nothing wrong with that clothing. You need to learn how to stock, too. Again, you know, level playing yeah. field, keeping things even. And I don't. I, 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 I think if anybody th- takes anything from this podcast is you don't need to buy the port, but the, the most expensive broke budget shit, you don't need to buy the most expensive shit, buy what's applicable for what you're doing. Like I don't personally 
tell people to shoot iron wheels at turkeys. What you you don't need to, right? But if a guy's going on a once in a lifetime hunt, if you know whatever you want to, you know, yeah, then I don't. I'm not going to talk a guy. I'm, of course, I love those broadheads, but you can use a Magnus Black Hornet and have no problem at all. You know what I mean? They're not going to stay as sharp as long, but you're going to be able to sharpen those. Again, it's the knowledge of knowing or or wisdom, however you want to look at it. Would you say so far, have we hit anything that you're like, holy shit, that's totally wrong, or anything you want to chime in on? Not at all, man. I really think that, you know, and I'm not budget on every single thing. You know, you got to figure out what, what makes a good piece of equipment a good piece of equipment. Like, you know, for the last six years, seven years, I've used Kinetrek boots. You know, I might have a pair of $8 George Walmart pants on or, or those uh, Wrangler, like, kind of have the stretch you know, green pants that they have at Walmart now. Those are, those are awesome hunting pants. They're Wranglers, aren't they? I have a pair of $15 pants on, but I got... Yeah, they're Wranglers, yeah. I might have a pair of $15 pants on, but I got $400 boots on. Yeah. You know, I've got... If it's told, you know, merino wool base layer, regardless of company or whatever, is is big on my, you know, list. I always carry merino wool, rain gear. I got a merino wool t-shirt, you know, something to wick that moisture off of you, especially when you're packing in or packing out or anytime you got a backpack on, you know, your back sweats and want something to get that moisture off of you and good socks, keep that moisture off your feet. So I'm not always 100% absolute cheapest on gear. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's places you can't skimp. You know, I shoot a, a good bow, good quality arrows. Yeah, just knowing what makes the gear good is important. You know, get out there and Get out there and muff a couple hunts. You know, you're going to be an elk hunter and you live in Kentucky. Well, Kentucky has elk. But you want to be a western elk hunter and you live in Iowa. You're going to come out here and you're going to figure out what you need. You're going to come out here and muff a couple hunts. you got to figure out, you know, what makes the gear good and what you need personally. Yeah. I think that's real important, you know. Well, let's dive into that just a little bit more. When he talks about, like, screwing up a hunt, one of the things that I am kind of baffled by, because I think my mentality was probably more, way more like yours back when, you know, when I was, I'm, I'm from the West, but you know what I mean? When I was younger was just go, right? Just get out there, right? And, and when I say that, meaning yeah. I may not have uh, been able to go to the movies and I slept on an air pad, but I was getting into the woods, right? I was going to go hunting because you can't shoot shit from the couch. And I did have a $200 set of pants that I wore um, that I had for probably 12 years. And that is the only pant I wore for a long time. Um, I think I got them on sale, so they weren't quite that much. But I had a mountaineering buddy, and he said, man, these pants will last forever. He was a dude that kind of an Everest guy, you know what I mean? He'd, he'd put crap through the test. He wasn't a hunter. I got those pants, and they, I mean, do the math, divide whatever, 189 bucks by however many days into, you know, 12 years. They, they were, they were well worth it. Boots. Well worth it. Yes. Yeah. Boots. Same thing. But do you need eight fleece tops? Nope. You really only need one. Um, you know, do do you need, and when I say this, a new bow every year, maybe a backup bow, but you know, I say maybe I always encourage guys to have a backup bow, but you don't need a new bow every year. And, and, and again, as I say that, it sounds extremely hypocritical, but guys, you got to figure one of my jobs is testing gear for companies. So don't base it off of what I'm doing, base it off of what I'm telling you. And because I hate guys to go spend a shit ton of money on stuff they don't need. Of course, I'm going to have the best gear. I get to test it. That's one of my, my jobs, but you don't have to spend all of that money to get out in the field and when I was sitting there, when I called you the other day to talk about this, I said, man, Colton's going to be the perfect guy to have this podcast with because you're getting it done with whatever you, you know, with, with what you got. You're, you're not going, well, I didn't know about the Nikon duct tape eye cups, but you get it what I'm saying. You got over there and you killed an animal. <laughs> um, so yeah. keep things into perspective and, and, and really when you talk about field craft and, and woodsmanship, how many you know, people can hike at an astronomical weight that are extremely buff, but have no idea what to do when they get to the top of the mountain. A, a lot. Yeah. Nothing wrong with being fit. I'm a huge advocate of fitness. 
But make sure you get to the top of the mountain to learn what to do a lot so you know what to do once you have that phys- a high physical fitness level. I know a lot of fat guys that kill a lot of shit, a lot. And they're not at the peak of fitness by any stretch, but they know how to hunt. So have the total package, learn animals and learn fitness. You know, that that's, that's what I'm really trying to hit home here. And I would say, I mean, you're pretty damn fit, so you don't really count, but there's, there's some guys. Oh, I got to go. You but I always said, <laughs> always said you want to, you want to race the top of the mountain or you want to kill something between here and there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, I know a lot of people that can out hike me, but you know, I, I feel like I go as fast as I need to go. Yeah. You know, I don't need to. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And again, you don't always have to be going 400 miles. Yeah. Every time you're in the woods. <laughs> well, yeah. Guys get worried about uh, hiking in with Frank and I, and I'm like, we don't race the, up the fucking mountain. I mean, we do when we're training, but I'm like, dude, we get there, so we got gas in the tank when we get there. You know, we go at a pace where we got gas in the tank when we get up there. We know what that pace is, and it may be faster than others, and it may be slower than others. But you know how we learn that pace is by being in the field a lot. That's how we know what, what pace we can hike out because we went out there and we, we, we did it. And How many times have you been? Go ahead. Yeah, how many times have you been walking in and getting into animals? A lot. I shot a decent eight-point last like two years ago, walking out with my buddy Mitch Glantz. Like we were like walking in and there's a buck bedded there. You know, if we were just come trekking poles and going as fast as we could, we'd have blew him out of the country. Yeah. Well, on that note, what's your feelings about strapping a bow to a backpack? I don't do it unless, so one place I elk hunt, I got about two and a half, three mile walk and just in a big open field. And I'll do that. I'll either use like the, uh, Christian from Western Bind sent me one of those slings that goes in your pack. And before that, I, I would just kind of throw it over. If I had a hood on my backpack, I'd just kind of throw the hood over the quiver and the riser. But if I'm in the woods, I don't, you know, I'm the kind of guy I keep my tab on and bow in my hand. If I'm in the woods, I could run into an animal. Yeah, especially in Montana, we got a pocket full of tags. I mean, if we run into a a mule deer, a whitetail, a bear, an elk, you know, we kind of always got to be, you could always be hunting something in 10 seconds. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of strapping them to the backpack if, unless you're hiking. I, yeah. And I, I try to encourage people to honestly, not even very rarely do I ever say, please, you know, when I say, <laughs> I say, please do not ever strap your bow to a pack unless it is a, a an area where you absolutely know you either cannot hunt or the chances of animals being there are very slim and it's easy terrain. I am really leery of guys strapping their bow to their pack in very, very rough and aggressive terrain where most people think it should be on their pack then. I don't think it should be because when you fall, you're going to break your, your bow first on the pack when you go down. When it's Man, in I, your, see, I see a lot of those, especially... Go ahead, my bad. No, 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 go ahead. A lot of, especially compound guys, they'll have, I've seen some people in some real rough elk territory with their bow in their back. And I'm like, man, that, that little flimsy sight housing, you know, you can roll. I actually saw a guy, he was tracking his elk, luckily, fell and uh, hit his cam on a rock and rolled the, you know, the, the groove that your string sets in, rolled it over onto the string and pinched it. Like, you know, you could blow the tip off a, off a longbow or recurve or, yeah, like you said, it'd be really easy to ruin your hunt real quick by taking a pretty simple fall if you don't have control of your bow. Well, yeah. So that's a bad idea. Yeah, that's why, again, I, I, I having hiked in enough and everything else, it's like, you know, I, I get it. If, if you have an extremely heavy load, you need your hands free. I get it. Just know when you fall backwards, compound or recurve, you're probably going to break your bow. If you don't, you're lucky. To where if you're hiking out and you can handle it, a walking stick in one hand and, and your weapon in the other is 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 much more preferred for me because at least I can control the fall and I can, can semi-control when I say the fall, the fall of the weapon. And so I next to never strap my bow to my pack, and I have people so consumed by how to strap a bow to a pack, and I'm like... Man, I got to be honest with you. Like, you'll figure it out. It's kind of a pass-fail thing. When you get to the point where I need to strap a bow to a pack, I'll find a way. Like, I'm not worried about it. It's going, I mean, there's enough straps on a backpack. You'll get it on there. Don't make that your primary concern because it really shouldn't be on your pack because you can't shoot shit while it's on your pack. Now, 
I've had guys talk a lot about, well, on the hike out, I want my hands free. To a certain extent, yes, and you've already killed an animal is what I'm talking about. You got the animal. But you've also magnified the amount of pressure or the amount of weight falling on the bow. If you got 100 pounds in your bag, and, and I'm capable enough, I'm okay enough to do it with one walking stick. Again, this is learning what you're comfortable with. So rather than immediately strapping your bow to your pack, you might want to you know try it out with it in one hand and a walking stick in the other. And I try not to ever hike in with walking sticks unless it's very conducive to saving legs and my, my energy level because I can't shoot shit with walking sticks in my hands. Now, I use them. But if I know there's a chance that when I'm hunting my way in, I'm not going to be dropping walking sticks and putting them in my pack. But if I have one walking stick and I have my bow in my hand, that's a totally different story. So I either use a walking stick, ice axe, or one walking stick. Again, that's just my personal view on that. I I mean, it sounds like you're fairly close to the same same thought process. Yeah, I'm not normally big on walking sticks. I I didn't use them until here recently, but... 100%. 100%. I mean, they go in the pack unless you're weighted down with meat. It's kind of my, I got a, I got a bad ankle and a bad knee, both on the right side. And it, it does definitely helps to have some stability if you got a, I don't go 100 pounds, but you got a 60, 70, 80 pound pack on. Definitely kind of take some of that uh, pressure off your knees or ankle or whatever. But yeah, I'm pretty much in hunting mode. If I'm out of the truck and I'm in anywhere where I could be, I'm, I'm hunting. I'm taking a hike. Those things, I mean, everyone's been up on the uh, trails and heard clink, 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 hear hikers coming from, you know, three, 400 yards away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly. Not, you're not hunting if you're clanking those trekking poles. No. And there's certainly, people hear what they want to, so make sure you're actually hearing what we're saying, not what, what you want to hear. Um, I'm not saying never use walking sticks. They save your legs. They're hugely important as you get, you know, as you get older, especially in your knees, get a little more beat up. What I'm saying is find a system that works best to take care of your body and your bow. That's the system you want. And strapping a bow to a pack probably, probably isn't it, um, unless you absolutely have to. Um, but I, I think we beat that horse uh, dead enough. We've been on about a an hour, man. Is there anything else you want to kind of highlight or some info for guys just getting into hunting that, that you, you know, you'd kind of stress to them? Well, I mean, kind of get used to that little bit of anxiety when you're shooting. You know, I know a lot of people that they don't like to shoot around people, you know, won't go to winter league or, you know, don't like to go to 3d shoots and stuff like that. And that's fine. You know, but that anxiety that you're feeling whenever you're thinking people watch you, truth is no one really gives a shit, but you think people are watching you when you shoot. That ain't nothing compared to what, you know, you got a bull elk at six, seven, eight yards. You know, and I've, seems like there's a lot of people that don't like to shoot in front of people or don't like to do this or don't like to, you know, and then it seems like, you know, that's the, that's the people that's having trouble whenever an animal presents itself. And, and that, that is a way to kind of combat that anxiety is, you know, get out and shoot in front of people, kind of make yourself un- uncomfortable, you know, take shots with targets that, you know, you're like, oh, man, I've really got to make this shot. So, you know, whatever, and whatever anxiety you're feeling towards that shot is nothing compared to an animal. So that's one way to kind of, that's one way I always help myself. That's one way, you know, my girlfriend, she's a bow hunter. She's killed, you know, antelope, turkey, deer with a longbow. And she never liked to shoot in front of people and stuff. And I explained that to her, and we got her shooting winter leagues and, you know, 3D shoots, and, and it's helped her. And it's, it's hard to... You know, if you're just plugging targets in your backyard, it's really hard to, to know how you're going to hold up when an animal's in front of you. And if you can't go find an animal, maybe that's the way to work on that a little bit. Yeah. No, Would you agree? Point. Yeah, no, I'd agree 100%. Uh, again, you got to get out there. You need trigger time. I do whatever you can to simulate if you can, but but get out there and, and, and try to you can't explain it in words. You can't understand it from a podcast. You just, you just got to get out there. There's certain things you can pick up from a podcast, but adrenaline is not one of them. Um, anticipation, that kind of not- crap. Blood trailing. I can give you an idea, but you're not going to learn that shit until you do it. There's just no way around it. So. Yeah. You know, and, and as far as gear, like, you know, if, if I asked you, if, if we took our backpacks, we're like, we're going on a hunt. We're going high, high country meal deer, 10 days. We brought our backpacks and said, I'm here in my kitchen. And I undid them and showed you everything I had. And you undid yours, showed me everything you had. 
I, there's going to be some things that overlap, but there's going to be a lot of shit that's completely different, and neither of us is going to die on that mountain. So, like, everybody, you know, what people like, I've said this before, like, uh, I'm kind of a bigger guy, I weigh 200 pounds, and I sleep on my side. So, as far as a sleeping pad, pad if you tell me your favorite sleeping pad, it might not be my favorite sleeping pad. In that but case, that, you get out there and that's probably little, the same, actually, but other shit would be different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... You know, if you're a little skinny guy that sleeps on his back, he might be able to save a couple ounces and get a thinner pad that isn't, you know, quite as quite as firm or whatever. You know, get out there and, and do some little hunts. If you're gonna if you're gonna go on your first elk hunt in Colorado and you live in North Carolina or wherever, get out and do some hiking trails. Get out and do some, you know, if it's gonna rain, pitch your tent in the backyard. You know, figure out what you need personally to go on this hunt. You can't really listen to what everybody else... Everybody else can give you an idea of what you need. But you're going to tweak that stuff, and you're going to go on a couple hunts and be like, I'm never taking this again, or, my God, I'm never going back in the mountain without that. You know, find out what you need personally. I think that's big on, on gear. No, I, I couldn't agree more because everybody's different. Well, man, I uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and, and hopefully this made you know sense to the listeners. If, if you're going to take anything from this... Uh, you know, on my perspective of it is, is make sure your hunting ability, your skills, your shooting, all that crap line up with your, your gear list. Um, you know, don't, don't put too much emphasis into anything, put in, put emphasis into all things. Um, you know, don't, don't get wrapped up and, and certainly, um, don't, so social media is the highlights of people lives, not the low side. I try to post misses and I, I try to eat crow when I can, so people can understand that, that, um, where I've made mistakes or, or misconceptions, um, you know, and, and, there, and again, there's nothing wrong with people disagreeing. I mean, I would say Colton and I probably agree more than initially we, we thought on stuff, but you, you can have a diplomatic conversation without turning into a dumpster fire, even though that's impossible online, try to learn from those conversations. If you've got 20 people posting, giving answers and only one of them's actually killed a bunch of stuff. Don't listen to the 19. Listen to the dude that's getting it done. That's the guy that you really want to get your info from. And maybe find it from two or three different perspectives of guys getting it done. If you took Colton, myself, and Jake, I would bet if we all sat down and did a podcast, I bet we'd be real damn close. Because successful guys, the one thing, the meat and potatoes of it, successful guys are usually real close in their thought process and methodology. And then on the other stuff, pick your own poison. If you walk more of a path of Colton, listen to Colton. Or Jake, listen to him or me. Again, but don't don't take advice from people that, that haven't been there. You know, to, try to get the best advice you can from guys getting it done. Colton's certainly one of those guys, so I don't want to get your uh, Instagram blown up, but um, Stickbum is who he is on Instagram and a very great source of knowledge. Again, it's coming from a perspective that you, you are going to see you can get it done on, on a fairly tight budget, and he's going to be able to help you with that. Um, and, and dude, you do great things for the traditional archery world. I appreciate that you're out there. And, and I'm, I'm glad that we semi get along now and um, we're not swinging at each other. As I like understand uh, you like to throw down as well. So that would have been interesting because it sounds like you like to fight. So that would have been cool. But looks like we're getting along now so we don't get to see that. <laughs> uh, no comment? Nothing? Well, uh, I don't need to comment on that. I We're all you, good now. I was going to say, I figured you'd make little, fun of me back. A little, little screaming and <laughs> little screaming and yelling over the telephone, and an hour later, we're yeah, we're fine. Well, I, I think people need to learn from that too. <laughs> that um, that uh, I think you'd be surprised once you peel under. Don't take social media as gospel. Um, you know, for 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 anything. Um, you know, try to learn the person and learn what their their thoughts are. And again, when it comes to knowledge. There's some guys online that are really great knowledge. Definitely get it from them. Don't get it from from guys that know what the hell they're doing. So, anyway, I'm not going to beat that horse it's to funny death. Facebook. Go ahead. I was going to say it's funny. Facebook is is the perfect platform for that because you'll, I'm, I don't know, traditional bow hunting Facebook page. Like, pretty much everybody's left that already. But uh, I keep going back, and you'll see people. You know, like, what's the best broadhead for me to use? And you know, you get people like, oh, Magnus Stingers, which is a phenomenal beginner. You know, they come huntable out of the package and then you get all these people just start just piling in with all these comments and you, you can click on their profile and see they got seven pictures of their dog and like some cancun vacation they ain't got a single damn animal so you know you can kind of see people's you know how valid their opinion is on facebook pretty freaking quick 
Yeah. Yep. And, and you know, again, I, that's not bashing people that, that don't get to hunt that much or aren't successful. That's just reality. You know, I'm not going to take advice from a 110-pound guy on powerlifting, and nor would you take advice from me on long-distance running. Um, it's, it's just the simple nature of the beast. So, um, well, man, I appreciate the friendship. I appreciate you coming on here. And, again, I appreciate what you do for the traditional archery community. Great, great, great source of knowledge if anybody wants to, to get a hold of them. Um, and then that maybe you won't be getting a hold of me. You can bub Colton instead so they can give him crap about it. Um, <laughs> but, man, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on. Well, man, appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. And, uh, and good luck this season if I don't talk to you. And uh, everybody else, thanks for tuning in.